Hello, everyone. This is Mary Keurig with Frontrunners Innovate, and I have a really special guest for you today. This is going to be interesting. I cannot wait to get his background and his story about how he got into this because it's going to fascinate you, too. This is Bradley Ringeisen, and Bradley is the executive director of the Innovative Genomics Institute and currently is in Berkeley on a stint, he calls it, <laughs> because he is a Southern guy. We know that, Southern from Virginia and the United States. Uh, we are very global, uh, Brad, so I have to tell people that, that where it is located. Um, but we want to talk about genomics. We want to talk about you first. Um, so talk to us a little bit about what brought you into this interesting line of work. Yeah, my, you know, thank you so much, Mary, for, for having me today. I'm really excited to, to share some of my experiences and, and more information about the IGI. Um, but yeah, I, I've been here for almost a year and a half now at UC Berkeley's uh, Innovative Genomics Institute, which was founded by Jennifer Doudna uh, of, of world-renowned fame for discovering the CRISPR-Cas uh, gene editing and, and developing the, the, the CRISPR-Cas gene editing toolkit. Um, but I started here back in uh, the summer of 2020 and my last uh, job was actually with the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. Uh, for most of you, you would probably know that as DARPA, uh, which is sort of the innovation hub for the Department of Defense. But prior to that, I was a research scientist and a chemist and a biologist for the Department of Navy at the Naval Research Lab. So my entire professional career, I actually worked for the Department of Defense as a scientist working on what biology could do for the Department of Defense to help protect uh, protect soldiers and and you know provide alternative energy and all kinds of interesting things back in my background. Mm -hmm. But when I was at DARPA, I specifically actually led the Biological Technologies Office or BTO at DARPA. And I was there for about three and a half years. And when Jennifer Doudna sort of called and sort of started to and, and, you know ask about whether I would be interested in this position, um, I really honestly wasn't sure if this was the right jump or not, because I'd been working for the Department of Defense and the government for, for most of my career. Um, but then as, as I started to learn more and more about IGI, I started to realize that maybe the opportunities out on the West Coast and out here at, at University of California, Berkeley, and working with Jennifer uh, actually allow me a, almost a bigger platform and, and to actually sort of get outside of the application spaces that biology can impact for the Department of Defense. And I started seeing in my role at DARPA, um, again, putting 50, 60, $70 million behind really innovative, like cutting edge technologies. We were funding um, Moderna's RNA, you know, mRNA vaccine yeah. way back in 2012, 2013, before, you know, before it really became big. So you can have a big impact, but it was all about the Department of Defense and what you could do for those applications. And I just kind of started to feel like, the second time, the third time, I was thinking about these same applications over and over again. Yeah. And I'm actually really, really passionate about climate research oh. and what biology could potentially do in the field of climate. And Jennifer was on board and she really wanted to try to push her institute, the IGI, not only towards health and trying to save people's lives with CRISPR therapeutics and CRISPR, CRISPR cures, but also seeing what CRISPR could do for the climate to see if we could really start to make crops more adaptive to climate, to be able to maybe even mitigate and capture carbon through edited crops, uh, edited crops and plants and, and bacteria. So that's really what got me, was, was that push to, to not only try to save lives through CRISPR cures and, 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 and treatments, but also the possibility to really be able to fulfill something that I'm really passionate about, which is trying to help in this, this fight against climate change as well. 
What uh, an interesting span from healthcare to climate. And who knew there would be an intersection there? That yeah, there, it really is. It's, 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 it's where, are, where a lot of the, the commercial interest is, where all the startups and all the capital is yep. all in on health. People yep. understand you can edit human cells, you can um, cure genetic diseases now. There've been individuals that have literally uh, very, you know, having no side effects and, and no sickle cell disease uh, you know, symptoms as one example. But so people are just pushing money and money and money in on the health side. But I'm trying to raise awareness that, look, CRISPR can edit plant cells and bacteria just as well as it can human cells. And yeah. so there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to be able to, to capture more carbon and maybe be able to pump more carbon underground. And so it's not actually as different as, as what you might think it would be. Interesting. Um, before we get too far into this, for those people who are listening um, that may not understand the whole CRISPR concept, can you please give us the short version, the definition of that? Yeah, you know, so I, people probably are familiar with the fact that you can sequence the genomes now. You can read, sort of, you can read the, the genomic structure and genomic character of a living organism, whether that's a bacteria, whether it's a plant, whether it's a human. You yeah. can basically sequence and get all of the, 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 the letters, the A's, G's, C's, and T's that make up the human genome. But <clears throat> as of, you know, 10, 15, 15 years ago, you actually have the ability as well to go in and specifically modify to either knock out and turn off a certain gene or potentially add in new functionalities and add in new genes um, into the genome. And that's essentially called gene editing. Um, and what Jennifer and her, uh, her collaborator, um, uh, I always mispronounce her name, Emilio uh, Chapontelier, it's a French, French name, but they both won the- I'm the not Nobel the only Prize. one who does that. So. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, back in 2019, uh, won the Nobel Prize in chemistry in 2020 for the discovery of the CRISPR-Cas system of gene editing. And that CRISPR system has two things. It has what's called a guide RNA, which essentially is the, the heat-seeking missile. <laughs> it, yeah. it has the ability to be able to lock in, to be able to identify exactly the right part of the genome that you wanna be able to, to be able to edit and to be able to change. And then you have this other system called a CAS protein that then essentially is the scissors and that they can snip and, and, and either knock out um, a gene or potentially then add in a gene. And so you can now both read the genome and you can also now change and modify the genome, which ultimately gives you new functions. You can cure a disease, you can make a plant resistant to a disease. Uh, you potentially could make a plant uh, like, a, like, a, like a crop like rice or corn uh, operate without the need for fertilizer, potentially. It's just as one, one specific example. So as soon as you can go in and you can edit and add function, yeah. that allows you now to sort of create all of these new products that could potentially have really life altering uh, implications. So, okay, more stupid questions. <laughs> so Okay, there are no stupid for all this vein, okay, uh, for those people watching who may have uh, either friends and, or family or themselves uh, maybe fighting a terrible disease, let's, let's say cancer or something like that, what, where are we at in the, in the stage of development with CRISPR and, and this genomics um, and, the, and the, you know, all the authorities out there, if the, whoever has to bless, you know, all of this stuff so that it becomes something that our family physician can deal with or, our, you know, or, you know, whatever transplant centers can deal with. 
Um, how far are we? Yeah, it's actually, it's so much easier to answer that question now than it was two years ago. Um, because as of 2019, there have been humans that have been positively affected by CRISPR, okay? So it has been in you know, human cells and those human cells have been then transplanted into humans. Victoria Gray was the first uh, very, very heroic and very brave individual uh, who was a sickle cell, suffering from sickle cell. Uh, and she uh, volunteered and signed the consent forms to be able to have her, her cells, uh, her blood cells uh, edited by CRISPR. Uh, and what they did was essentially turn on a, uh, uh, another way for her body to make hemoglobin, uh, which is the iron carrying uh, you know, molecule that, that, that's in your blood. And you know, sickle sort of modifies that hemoglobin and, and doesn't allow it to carry blood nearly effectively enough. So. Her, her cells now carry these edits and these changes uh, to be able to actually uh, produce uh, hemoglobin that's, that's functional. And she is, it, her symptoms have been effectively uh, eliminated. And so that's, you know, so as of 2019, that's occurring. Now there's just an, an avalanche of human studies and hu that, that where CRISPR is showing again and again and again yeah. to be effective at curing disease. And so now the caveat there is that it's for, relatively simple diseases, diseases that maybe have one gene that is mutated, that, that, that doesn't work properly. And you have the ability to then go in, target that one gene and be able to fix it and modify it. Or if it's a, if it's bad, a bad gene, then you go in and you can not, and knock out and modify that gene. And so that's where we are right now. It's amazing that it's happened so well. It's been done in liver. It's been done for blood cells. Um, and we have the ability to actually go in uh, and, and, and cure those uh, simple genetic diseases, okay? That's number one. Number two, on the sort of plant side and on the crop side, um, we can do the same thing. Our, our institute can edit over 25 different crops, anything from you know, uh, the chocolate cacao to rice to, to, to maize and corn and tomatoes. And so we have the ability to be able to do that. And there actually is a CRISPR modified tomato that is now actually available for consumers to purchase as well. So it's such an easier answer now because it's in the real world, it's in humans and it's in plants. Uh, and I will make the, the quick statement too, which is really important to, 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 to describe Mary, yeah. is that CRISPR modified crops are usually not considered GMOs. This is something that you can actually create where you knock out genes mm -hmm. and there is no genetic modification. There's no new genetic material that makes it a GMO that's in there. So it's very, very important for people to understand that almost all of the crops that are modified by CRISPR are not considered GMOs by the um, Food and Drug Administration or the yeah. EPA. Yeah. So it, it sounds like from the crop perspective, um, produce, if you will, that it's moving forward. So it's, there's some things readily available in that um, space, but from the human health perspective, are we still in clinical trials? Are we- Yeah, still clinical trials um, and they're very targeted. They're very targeted towards specific diseases, but look, this is a stepping stone thing. And, and we always talk about CRISPR as a platform technology. Yeah. This is something that because you can modify that genetic code, it very easily could target gene A or gene B or gene C. And yeah. so it's very, all, it has a knob that you can turn very, very easily to turn it to different diseases. So once we start seeing successes in these, in these clinical trials, Mary, 
it's just, it's, it's only going one direction. It's going and it's just going to blast off exponentially. And I promise you that the same thing's going to happen on the, on the agriculture and climate side as well, because there's just such a need for that to happen. I was at a conference up in Boston two weeks ago at Ginkgo Bioworks and the CEO of Ginkgo, which was by the way, the largest IPO in biotech history. And the CEO for Ginkgo was stood up on the, on the stage at his conference and basically said, the next hundred unicorns are going to be in climate and ag. Um, for exactly that reason, because there's so much opportunity and so much green pasture that's yeah. out there, uh, no pun intended, where you can make you make really big impacts in that space. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, the funny thing about climate is I had no real concept of how it uh, how it it can affect or impact so much, so many other things. Um, when you can fix that, you can almost fix just about everything else. Uh, yeah, I mean, look. We're, we're, we're talking about crops being susceptible to more disease, yeah. higher temperatures, more yeah. drought, less rain. Those are things that we're actively working on at the Innovative Genomics Institute. That's what I wanted to get into. Yeah. Drought, drought tolerant <laughs> rice. Yeah. Um, you know, we're looking at ways to modify crops to be able to increase how much carbon that they can capture. Mm -hmm. um, and then pump that carbon underground with longer roots and deeper roots and mm -hmm. ways to be able to capture that and hold it in the soil for longer periods of time. These are all things that are possible in the next, in the next few years, honestly. And it's really is, is what's really exciting. Are you case studying uh, or doing any kind of trial with that kind of thing right now? Let's just take, for instance, the rice yeah. and the drought. Yeah, the, the drought tolerant rice. Absolutely. It's a great question, Mary. We actually are partnering with an organization called CIAT, C-I-A-T, and they are going to take that drought tolerant rice that uses less water, okay, uh -huh. and actually field it in an international field trial in Colombia. In, the, in, in Colombia. And so that's something that's actually going to start next year. Um, and then on the other side, uh, we have a clinical trial in sickle cell that we're going to dose patients next year in 2022. And there's also an immune deficiency genetic disease that we're also expecting to dose patients in 2022 as well. So we've got it going on on both sides where we're doing international field trials of some of these crops. And at the same time here in the United States, partnering with University of California, San Francisco, the medical school over in yeah. San Francisco, yeah. we're going to be starting two clinical trials next year as well. Fantastic. Um, you know, we're, we're thinking, I'm thinking because we see a lot of it on the news and lately there has been that climate produced situation in the Southern part of Madagascar, which I'm very familiar with because I have a relationship with mo monarchy there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the first time that I think the news reported that that was absolutely a result of climate change is the drought that they're experiencing and the famine that's ha happening that is associated to that. Um, so I and think you also see on the other side, Mary, you see flooding. And so yes, yes, you yes, can actually create yes. flood tolerant rice as well yeah. um, to be able to balance it on the other side. So you're seeing both, you're going to see more yeah. and more and more extremes. Exactly. There are some places in, who is it? Um, the Philippines, my goodness, about every other year, they get smacked with some kind of tsunami that just floods everything. <laughs> so so I'm a big believer in technology. I'm truly a big, being at DARPA, I have I have faith that technology can solve some of these problems. And I think that there is an ethical and regulatory pathway to be able to use technology to be able to do this. And that's one more thing that I should say is we're talking about places like Madagascar and the Philippines. Jennifer founded the IGI on the premise that CRISPR-Cas, it can be a, a technology that can be help raise all lives and, and, and help uh, you know, really affect those that need it the most, that it does not have to be in the hands of just the elite. 
uh, and those that have the money to be able to pay for things. So most of our focus, we work with these international nonprofit organizations on the agriculture side mm -hmm. to, be able to, to be able to provide these seeds and other things at cost. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, we're hoping to be able to use technologies to be able to lower the cost on the healthcare side of some of these, some of these treatments right now cost two and $3 million. Oh, yeah. And we really, we want to be able to bring that down so that all insurances and Medicare will be able to pay for these things. That's, that's phenomenal because whenever something like this new comes out, it is, you know, before Medicare or, or any other insurance will pick up anything, it's just, it's out of pocket and it's outrageously expensive. Um, so it's almost like the sicker you are, the more <laughs> devastating, you know, the, the impact is going to be on the wallet. There are some companies that are actually pulling out of Europe because Europe said, look, I, we just can't pay for this. And so they, they're going to focus on the United States market instead of Europe. So it's a real problem. And, and our institute's really trying to, to develop technology that can be, that can cut out some of the really expensive steps and really just go to, directly to be able to, 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 to lower those costs. Fantastic. Um, you know, so that's kind of what's going, that's the picture, I guess, of what's going on now from what you just said of the things that you're working on. What's in the future? What's in, you know, you already told me 2022, you've got a couple of clinical trial things going on. Um, that's still right here. I mean, we are, we're going to shoot so much higher, Mary. So that's a great question. I don't know. So that's what I'm excited about. So what's, what's, what's coming? What do you see coming that's so let, me, let me talk about both sides again. Let me talk okay. a little bit about the ag and then I'll talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the health yeah. and I'll, I'll end on some of the health implications because I think it's pretty astounding. Okay. But on the agriculture side, look, agriculture is part of the problem right now. You know, Bill Gates was famously saying that, you know, of all of the emissions from humans, like agriculture is actually up to maybe 25 to 30% of those emissions. And it's just going to get worse as the population of the world gets higher and higher and higher. If we don't change the way we make and produce our food, it's gonna be 50% of the emissions that we have in the world. And so we cannot continue on the same path that we're on with respect to how we grow and, 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 and grow and feed the world right now, okay? So right now, if I was to shoot really high over the horizon and say, what could CRISPR and gene editing do? I think it really boils down to two things. We are headed towards a different climate. That's just gonna happen. All of the UN reports, they're looking at, there's just a report on the front page of the Washington Post this morning, two, two and a half degrees, that's what's going to happen. There's going to be more extremes. CRISPR can be used to try to help adapt crops to the, that changing climate, okay? Whether that is making it disease resistant. Look, we're working at the banana. The banana is under threat from a, a soil fungus right now. We, oh. we, we might not actually have bananas five or 10 years from now based on, on the fact that it's spreading across the, the world. So we are working on that right now. We're working with several countries in South America and Latin America to be able to, 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 be able to help fund that work. Um, pat, other pests like the, the, the cacao, which is responsible for chocolate, also is under, under attack by a, a virus that, that, could, that could really threaten the, the world's supply of chocolate. Um, and then things like wheat, right, is also under attack by, um, by, by different pathogens. So I really think that we can try to adapt these uh, uh, crops to be able to help keep continuing to feed the world, even in this very, very changing, changing climate, number one. But the number two, I think we can actually help solve climate with plants and CRISPR, um, you know, helping soak up more carbon, uh, help, helping to be able to store more of that carbon into the soil, helping soil bounce back, helping it be more um, fertile, where there's more carbon, more nitrogen in the soil. Um, and all of these things, are, I think, are possible within the next 10 years. 
Um, so let's reverse that curve. Let's not keep the, the, the carbon footprint and, and the greenhouse gas emissions associated with, with growing our food. Let's turn that curve over. And I think we can actually get maybe to a net zero farm. And I think that's something that we're really, really excited about trying to work on in our institute. But then also help it be part of the solution. You hear about these carbon capture um, engineered systems where they're sucking air and forming you know, stable carbon products. I think nature can help with that as well. And I think that CRISPR can help, help nature actually capture more carbon and to be able to store it as well. So to me, that's the future. I, in 10 years, I wanna look back and think that I've done everything that I can to use gene editing to be able to help store more carbon and create a net zero farm. That's really what I would like to do on, on the agriculture and climate front. If you pivot quickly to the uh, health side, I talked to you about genetic disease. A lot of these diseases have 10 people, 100 people. Sickle cell is the exception where in the United States, there's 100,000 people. But I would really love to see gene editing be used for more common diseases. Things like neurodegenerative disease, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, mm, yeah. and fight, even fighting things like cancer. And we have study groups and we're starting projects inside the Institute right now because we really wanna shoot over the horizon and affect these more common diseases that are affecting millions and millions of people, not just you know, tens to hundreds. Mm -hmm. We're doing both. Those rare diseases and what people call um, neglected disease, we are absolutely working on those rare and ne neglected diseases. But we're also thinking about ways to be able to deliver CRISPR to the brain and the central nervous system to be able to potentially affect um, some of those neurodegenerative diseases. And we're working with our collaborators at UC San Francisco who are already starting to do some therapies um, directed towards cancer, but there's still some really big challenges out there for solid tumors and to be able to sort of deliver the, the, the therapeutics directly to your body um, and we're, we're working with those UC San Francisco uh, partners to be able to do that. So I think the, the future is very, very bright on both sides. And we're really excited to, 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 to just make really big impacts in the next 10 years. This is fantastic stuff. You know, what comes to mind is before the pandemic hit, I had done a sort of a bunch, a string of uh, special edition articles on diabetes. And so I know that's like an epidemic everywhere. Um, is, is there any hope? For those folks, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. Diabetes is is one of those difficult things. I haven't personally thought about that very much. That's one of those things that I think that there might be solutions where you go in and you modify and turn on some of those mechanisms to be able to form insulin or things inside your body. Mm -hmm. I think that there is an opportunity there, but you also, I mean, that's one of those systems that has to be very, very regulated uh, inside There's your a body. A lot of so things that tie into system. that, and I think, yeah. There, there really are. There's a whole lot of things that tie into that. So story. that's one of those challenges is that it's not just turning on and, and have something produce something all the time. You have to have a give and take where it has to be regulated and modified. Sure. I don't think it's out of the question, but that would be the challenge in that particular, in that particular problem. Impacting millions, on, you know, worldwide for sure. So, you know, my last question, as I mentioned to you is who do you need? Who, who, who do, what type of people do the, the Institute or does the Institute need to um, help move things forward, uh, partners, clinical trial partners, you know, yeah. or other corporations well, that are helping to uh, fund trials or tell me a yeah, little. That's, that's really it. We need partners, Mary. We yeah. really need partners. And, you know, about 80% of our, of our institute is run philanthropically. Mm -hmm. um, so this is something where Jennifer and I are in a big fundraising campaign right now to support the institute. Uh, and we have these big visions. 
on both the health side and on the ag and climate. And we're really looking for partners to be able to join us, to be able to help help uh, help bring those visions to reality. And who better to partner with than one of the most recent Nobel Prize uh, winning uh, you know scientists in the world, an ex an ex DARPA guy that just wants to help help lower <laughs> lower healthcare prices and and save the world from climate disaster. So why not why not join us? I think I think there's really real opportunities there. But there are corporate partnerships that I think actually can can work with us as well. We we generate a tremendous amount of intellectual property in the, in the, in the institute. Uh, anywhere between 15 to 20% of the intellectual property for the entire campus of UC Berkeley. So there's a lot of opportunities for us to partner with startup companies, to be able to partner with venture capital companies. We're starting a new project now where the venture capital company gets access to the intellectual property that's generated. They fund us to do innovative research, and then they're able to get access to the startup to the startup companies that we form so that they have the ability to be able to fund those companies into the future. So there's a tremendous amount of opportunity, both on the philanthropic side, as well as on the more uh, commercial and, and uh, venture side to be able to partner with us. Fantastic. Um, if somebody were interested in doing so, would they reach out through your website? Yeah, you can go right to our website. It's uh, innovativegenomics.org, uh, uh, I believe. Um, <laughs> I don't go. Yeah, innovativegenomics.org. We'll get it from you. We'll, we'll put it in with this. So, yeah, Perfect. Perfect. that's fine. So other than that, any other volunteers, resources, anything else, or is it? Well, we always need good scientists, Mary. And so if you <laughs> want to go to graduate school, come to UC Berkeley for graduate school. If you're looking to do a postdoc, uh, come to the Innovative Genomics to do a postdoc. That's what that's the engine that students are the engine that drive innovation. I've been in this business long enough to know that. So we absolutely would want undergraduates, graduate students, uh, postdocs, uh, anybody that wants to join uh, Jennifer, join uh, UC Berkeley. It's a great place. Uh, I'm out here at Berkeley right now. The the weather's great. The science is great. Uh, I don't I don't think I could think of a better place to to go to graduate school or or to do really amazing science. Fantastic. Well, you know, all of you watching, <laughs> you now have your marching orders for sure. This is this is such great stuff. And we just wish you all the best um, and, and very well as you move forward. It's almost like you're part think tank, part R&D and um, an exciting place to be. To yeah, be just definitely uh, moving the needle on on change that needs to happen. So I always disruptive sounds like it's such a negative word. So I'm just going to say you're making positive impact. So we're just going to go, go with it with that way. Thank you um, so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Brad, for, for joining me for this conversation. It's been enlightening to say the least. And uh, we'll, we'll do our best to kind of move things forward. If you'll stay with me for just a second, I'm going to say goodbye to everybody else. If you're watching this on YouTube, go to www.frontrunnersinnovate.com where you'll have the full interview. You'll have, hopefully we can get a bio from Brad because I know he probably does some speaking or what have you and uh, some links so that you can follow along and uh, check in on the progress and connect with them if you want to um, you want to partner or if you'd like to connect with them to, to do an internship or whatever you'd like to do. So uh, we're gonna leave it with that. So bye everybody. And thank you, Brad. And just hang with me for just a second. Sure, thank you so much. Bye-bye.